Bloom, Buddhist Reflections on Serenity and Love by Ajahn Sona Part 2. Love Loving-kindness already has its reward. Ajahn Sona Chapter 9. Dive In We have a stretch of time ahead of us that doesn't come often in most people's lives a time to devote to the heightened mind of which the Buddha often speaks. The Buddha also reminds us that life is uncertain, and so we should not become jaded, but should ask ourselves, when will we have this opportunity again? If you have managed to arrange your life to do many retreats, you know that it takes many structures of support to make this time possible. The higher mind does not arrive until the hindrances have been left behind and you may have been struggling to free yourself of these things. You have put in a great deal of effort that may manifest and bloom even in this retreat ahead of you now. Emphasis in meditation is often placed on reflections upon the three marks of existence, the impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, selflessness or insubstantiality of things. But this is not all there is. The Buddha and many people who have walked the path before us have given a whole battery of instruction and encouragement. There are many helpful aspects before we break through into the insights of Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta. I would say that to reflect, to do perhaps what we might call Vipassana-type practices, before we've established ourselves in some substantial degree of lucidity and serenity, is probably not the best return on the investment of our time. Those of you who have taken retreats with me before know that I value highly the cultivation of pure serenity, samadhi, pure concentration. Here is the best investment, to channel your energies primarily into letting go and placing the mind again and again into the present with the breath, in the body, or on the divine emotions, the Brahma-viharas, metta, karuna, mudita, and upeka, the emotions of loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity are profoundly helpful for establishing yourself in the preliminaries. They provide the necessary basis before much effect can take place from your reflections. Up to 99% of the time, you may use serenity practices or the Brahma-viharas to retrain the emotional structure. Buddhism is not a dry intellectual exercise. We are emotional beings. The Buddha says, I only teach two things. The first of these is that there is an emotional problem inherent in our lives. You're going to have some form of emotional distress in this life. This emotional distress the Buddha recognizes as the most important characteristic of existence, how it is latent, how it has potential to arise, how it arises, how sometimes it is explicit and there is no one in this room who has not explicitly suffered. 
Yet when it drops into the background, it's not gone, but remains there in its potential to rise again. For the wise, paying attention to this is the single most important pursuit. The solving or dissolving of this emotional problem, this suffering, is the second of the Buddha's two teachings. The Brahma-viharas are a retraining of the emotional structures we have. Ordinary people, of course, are putting in enormous efforts to get rid of distress and suffering. They generally use symptomatic techniques, distractions, a full range of behavior for arranging the environment around them to support sensory well-being or sensory satisfaction. People try to secure themselves against the various vicissitudes of life, the various inevitabilities, praise and blame, success and failure, good fortune and bad fortune, sickness and health. These polarities are unavoidable and come to everyone. Yet we scurry around, arranging and attempting to diminish their effects or to prevent them. Almost all of our life energies may be taken up in trying to do this, or trying to get over the things that have happened already. We have fragile and tender minds, and even if things are not happening now, we fear that they will, or we are preoccupied with the fact that they have. This situation is familiar to everybody. The Buddha takes a wise and intelligent approach that is not typical. He instructs us to transcend it, to dissolve it, to finally see. This transcending and dissolving is a preliminary part of the path. It is sometimes overlooked in favoring an inside approach and technique. However, when you free yourself from the primary delusions, the hindrances, the psychic irritants, you will experience an emotional model. Being free, even temporarily, will give you a clear taste, an impression of what it would be like to be free of suffering. This personal experience is very helpful in the context of Dhamma. You hear again and again the teachings on why we suffer and about the diligent effort to see through our suffering. You hear this in my talks and in the primary teachings of the Buddha. And yet this seeing through is not easy. It is not easy because we don't spend enough time on the preliminaries. The preliminaries are simply returning again and again to a deliberate effort to free ourselves of the normal preoccupations of the mind. This is very beautiful in itself. In these efforts, in retreat and hopefully afterwards, you'll be doing things that are not you, not familiar or natural not the way you normally feel. That not you reveals something, the higher insight into non-self. Although this may not be easy, it is not that you're going to do something difficult. In fact, you're going to stop doing difficult things which are injurious to you, which are problematic, but which you have come to regard as being you. So this is one of the clues. When you're doing something that's really not in your character to do, then you're on to something. You're taking some right angle, a 90-degree turn in your ordinary way of being, not following what you normally follow, not carrying what you normally carry. Of course, you will feel some sort of habit structures, but it is possible, amazingly enough, to just stop and go in a direction that is not familiar, not your pattern. 
We are rarely motivated to do that. People around us expect us to follow our habitual patterns. They encourage you to be you. So here in the monastery, we put ourselves in a unique situation. Here, somebody is talking to you night after night about not being you. It's not just about being comfortable with yourself, with your problems and faults, although there is certainly no value in being distressed over shortcomings, real or fabricated. Distress is never helpful. It's just a way of delaying the process you need to get on with. You need to drop distress. By distress, I mean the self-criticism which is so rampant and common in our culture. The inner voice which harps on past failings and present character deficits. The voice that fills you with anxiety about your own weaknesses regarding the future. These voices are unhelpful and lead to a strong sense that you need to be disciplined or punished. It doesn't seem right that you should get away with it. Yet, this is what the Buddha is offering. He is saying that you're wasting your time dwelling on your faults. There is a way out of these things, and it's not by excessive self-criticism. It's to drop those patterns, stop those patterns. The Buddha is inviting you to just let them go and get on with something beautiful. There are two types of people. Some feel they are quite deserving of the beautiful, and others feel they are not deserving of the beautiful. The Buddha says, never mind whether you're deserving or not. All you have to do is put this process in place and see what happens. Do not have opinions about your abilities, because in general, people overestimate or underestimate their possibilities. You don't have to decide whether you can do it or not. It's probably beyond your capacity to know. You will only find out by doing it, not deciding ahead of time whether you can or you can't. People spend this kind of misdirected effort in all walks of life. When they get a job, when they're in a relationship, they want to know, can I do this? This is primarily a waste of time. The only thing is just to get on with doing it. The dominant factor in the teaching of the Buddha and the best investment you can make is exerting energy and effort in simply freeing yourself from the hindrances and enjoying the results immediately, as soon as possible. There is a lot of value in the sheer distancing from your normal various moods which are not always so great. In this retreat, if you can get in nine or ten days of just repeatedly dropping your normal processes and going back to the simplicity of the breath or the cultivation of loving-kindness again and again, you will find a sense of detachment arising, a removal from your ordinary condition. In this special environment here, you have nothing else to do. You can find here what neuroscientists might call a shutting down of the cortex for a while. This is very valuable. It's possible that you will not have to do a lot of insight practice because what is getting in the way is too much mental activity, preventing you from realizing what you already know but can't seem to act on. There must be a lot of trust in the process of shutting down your normal activities and repetitively cultivating some non-normal activities. Focus the mind again and again. Bring it back to the object. 
the simple air element, the breath, or the uplifting emotions of profound friendliness and love. You should induce a quite abnormal state, but it's not an unhealthy state and there's no danger in it. It's a beautiful state, a healthy state. The ordinary person may run away from this, but you are all here as meditators and you are open to this kind of idea, however contrary it is to the ordinary speech and attitudes of the world. This is going in a completely different direction. You will not get the special effects, the special results, if you stay with the techniques and strategies for getting through life that you have ordinarily cultivated. You really have to do something very different. If you're already in a state of grace, keep it up. Stay there. If you have a little touch of it, deepen it. The Buddha says this is the one area you can be greedy in. Do not throw away your craving and desire for this, as it is chanda, the proper thing to have. Don't be nervous about this. This will enhance your life. It may, of course, cause difficulties in your life as well. If you get a taste of freedom, of love, of this realm that we're talking about, it does change things about how you're going to live your life. It does change your relationships, and some of those relationships are lifelong and important. The awkwardness that may occur as your whole life changes is the adventure. If you change and become less worldly, it will alter how you process everything in life, and sometimes this is a little awkward or difficult, but it's worth it. This is sometimes our inner fear. We resist. We worry about how we will relate to the people in our life. Some of these people may not even be alive anymore, and yet we are still in relationship with them. When you change, everything changes. That little whisper of resistance is the self, the identity. It says, this could cause problems if I really did this. So we have a sense of going against the self. How you deal with this resistance is that you don't argue your way through it. It's not a moment of courage. It's just going back to the breath, going back to the wholesome emotion and seeing what happens. Put the voices of reluctance and fear aside, the voices of caution. Just go back to this moment, this breath. One more minute of letting go of the endless stream of thinking. One more attempt to lift the mind to the beautiful heart, which has a true absence of ill will, an absence of enmity and coldness, back to an embracing warmth. Just do it one more time. Do it a little more genuinely, more deeply. That's how we move past the reservations and come out on the other side. You'll be very glad you did. The new structures in your life will be worth it. Even the difficulties are worth it. It was difficult for the Buddha to meet his father and explain why he'd left his son on the night of his birth. There are all kinds of radical departures. But from a certain point of view, you don't have a choice about this. New sets of values are making new choices. So when we do this, we feed back into our lives and come out with a whole new set of future behaviors, situations, and decisions you'll make, and how you'll relate. It's very exciting. Not just talk. 
I am a living example. I never thought I would be a Buddhist monk, but that's what happened. Your life is altered through these practices. It is an adventure and maybe quite a radical one. Yet ordinary people who resist this, thinking they will be safe, end up living dangerously. They suffer. As this retreat begins, I urge you to explore deeply, to dive in. Completely immerse yourself physically with your whole body into this, just like swimming in the ocean. This is not a dry intellectual exercise, and it will not have any effect if you keep it as a crossword puzzle. It's a full spiritual step into a different element. The Buddha uses the word element. He's talking about different universes of being. You don't just get your toes wet. You need to go in and swim around. Here you have an understanding crowd of people who are all trying to do that, and also understanding monks. This is a supportive and ideal situation. Do not feel self-conscious. You have the opportunity to explore deeper levels of being. This does not mean getting fired up with super discipline or the wrong kind of effort. It's not about being gung-ho. It's about opening to the experience. Sometimes determination can work against us, and our extra efforts just create tension. So we have to watch that. At the same time, do not be lazy. I prefer the motivation of curiosity, of wondering what could happen, and also cultivating profound goodwill for yourself. Try to give yourself this gift. That's a very motivating thing. You will find life energy there. You'll find what the Buddha meant by right effort. Not the wrong effort of harshness and not slackness, but the right effort of the joy of giving yourself the gift, the one gift of freedom, of transformation, of profound enrichment in the emotional dimensions. This is the gift that matters. 